in the squadron. They called him Bullets, but we call him Greg Kelly. Greg Kelly is on the air on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Ah, I hope you feel, you should feel lucky. If you're tuning in, if you're listening to talk radio, whether it's me or Mark Levin or the guys here at WABC or uh, and if you're if you're watching uh, conservative media, if you're uh, seeking out information for yourself, don't you feel lucky? You're not one of the sheep. You know, I know there are a lot of us out there, right, who are not sheep, but sometimes it can feel kind of lonely. It can. And you turn on the mainstream media and they, it's you're, you're inundated all day long, pelted with this stuff. Threat to democracy, insurrection, Donald Trump, threat to democracy, Donald Trump lied about the election, stirred up his supporters to storm the Capitol. MAGA, MAGA, you're extremists and racists, right? You hear this all the year from Democrats, you hear it from the media, you hear it from the President of the United States all the time. Now, it's not true, but it's so sustained and so relentless that it can make you question your judgments, your impression. It might even make you keep your mouth shut. Um, but right now, I'm very, very pleased, actually, that I can see through all this nonsense. You know, the the the, the indictment drops, and you know, I get a little. I, I I I'm not accustomed to handling judicial documents. I, I don't sit around reading indictments all day long. I um, you know, they can be very technical. They can be very a lot of terms you don't necessarily understand. And uh, but you can use your common sense. And I'm very pleased because I, you know, I got this thing in my hands yesterday at about five o'clock, like everybody else, and uh, started reading it. And I had to say what I felt. You don't have time, you know what I mean? Actually, especially, you know, in the conservative ecosystem, you got to start telling people what you think, and you don't, you can't look around for permission to say something or is this okay? You can't. You got to like use your own experience, your own knowledge, your own, your own gut, and. um after about, I would say, almost 20 pages in, which wasn't quite half, I pronounced that on Twitter, this is a sham indictment and it is totally political, rife with mistakes and silly partisan observations. It is dead on arrival. It is laugh out loud stupid. <laughs> and uh, by the time I finished it, I felt even more secure in my impressions and absolutely Oh, baby, they revealed themselves to be totally and completely corrupt yet again, yet again, that creepy prosecutor. Three big things, and then I want to go to the the hero of the moment, besides Donald Trump, who's doing great, okay? Uh, it's, a, it's a lawyer named John Loro, the newest lawyer, and I think the best lawyer we've seen on Trump's side so far. Absolutely amazing. Now, the whole thing, the first page, and that's where it really got my attention. The defendant, Donald J. Trump, was the 45th president of the United States and a candidate for re-election in 2020. The defendant lost the 2020 presidential election. Now, look, that's a political observation. That is a political statement right there. That is not a statement of fact. There are those of us who aren't so sure. There are those of us who contest that. And that's okay. We do have a president. He signed the paperwork. But as far as who got the most legitimate votes... I think only God knows that answer. All right. The the exact number. Let's see here. For two months following Election Day on November 3rd, 2020, the defendant spread lies that there had been outcome determinative fraud in the election and that he had actually won. These claims were false and the defendant knew they were false. Number one, you can't say they were false. Number two, you can't say what he knew or did not know. 
You don't know. You can't get inside his head. I, I believe that there's major problems with the election. I know Donald Trump believes it. Has he changed his tune? Every rally he's at, he's like, you know, the election was stolen. They, they rigged the election. He says it every single time. So for them to say, and they, this is how they prove that he knew that it was, um, that his statements were false. His statements about election fraud, how are they false, uh, Mr. Prosecutor? And going right to the thing, the claims were false and the defendant knew they were false. In fact, the defendant was notified repeatedly that his claims were untrue, often by people on whom he relied on for candid advice on important matters who were best positioned to know the facts. And he deliberately disregarded the truth, for instance. So this is, they say, proof that Donald Trump knew that it was um, that was false, his concerns about the election, because the vice president said so, because senior leaders of the Justice Department said so. Because the uh, some guy named Chris at the Department of Homeland Security said so. Because some guy named Pat Cipollone at the White House, who a lawyer at the White House, said so. Senior staffers on the defendant's 2020 re-election campaign said so. Bill Stepien. Bill Stepien from New Jersey said so. What the hell's built this? These guys are not in the Constitution. The president is the president. The president is the president. And you know what? This president, President Trump... He sees things. He sees patterns. He has got a certain there's almost a clairvoyance to this guy. I'm serious. He is unlike most people and he can determine things like, for instance, 2016. Do you remember the Access Hollywood tape? The Access Hollywood tape. You know what all these people were saying? You know what Mike Pence was saying? You know what uh, senior uh, officials in the Republican Party were saying? Get out, Mr. President. You can't win. Get out right now. You can you can actually resign the nomination and give it to Mike Pence. We'll vote for Mike Pence. You can't win. You must get out. That was in October. Two days later, he kicked Hillary Clinton's ass in that debate. And by Monday, the excess Hollywood was a non-issue. <laughs> All these guys said, you got to quit. You got to quit. You got to quit. He has a habit. He has a habit of being right when everybody around him is wrong. Especially nobody's like, uh, I'm sorry, all due respect, Bill Stepien and Pat Cipollone. You guys are not going down in the history books. He is. And if he suspects fraud, if he suspected fraud, and I suspected as well, he had a duty to blow off you guys and pursue that. Absolutely. As the president of the United States, he had a duty. And it is perfectly legal, legal for him to object to the election. Now, they offer that. They offer that. Paragraph three, the defendant had a right, like every American, to speak publicly about the election and to even claim falsely that there had been outcome determinative fraud. That's an interesting little phrase, outcome determinative fraud. So they admit there's fraud. They admit it. They quibble over the widespread fraud, or in this case, outcome determinative fraud. Well, in an election where 160 million votes were cast, something like that. And 58,000 votes, if they had shifted in a couple of states, that's that's only a few thousand. That's that's not widespread fraud, necessarily. 58,000 out of 160 million, that's minuscule. doesn't have to be widespread fraud for it to be outcome determinative. Falsely, falsely. So, again, they're getting inside his mind. They're Now they're the election authority, and they're saying that this uh, – the election cannot be cannot be contested. Well, actually, more than a right, he had a duty. They say the defendant had a right, like every American, to speak publicly. No, I think the defendant had a duty. A duty. And then all those guys. Who cares what those guys say? 
Another thing they say is, well, he he forced or berated. They actually use the word he berated Mike Pence into into uh, uh, his position was Trump's position was that Mike Pence's role was not ceremonial as it was. They say Mike Pence's role was strictly ceremonial on January 6th. What 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 does Jack Smith where does Jack Smith get off saying that? He's a partisan. That's a political partisan observation. People can disagree. We have a Supreme Court, not for some prosecutor to decree such things. You can't just say that. You don't know. You don't know. So let's see. That's a juicy one. That is a juicy one. And it goes on like this for many, many pages. It's like a January. It's like January 6th, quite frankly. It's like the January 6th report. And, uh, all right, I want to get to this lawyer. John Loro is his name. And he, he, we've been waiting for a guy like this. So he goes on CNN. First, he's on Fox. Oh, by the way, Fox, thanks for nothing. <laughs> you know, Fox is owned by the Murdochs, and they can't stand Trump. So the word is out. Don't help Trump, okay? There are a couple of guys over there who can do their own thing, but most of the people can't. So they're all party line people, right? They're all on the same page here. Don't. John. They're all waiting for. What are they waiting for? Uh, oh, a jury will. A jury will have to determine this. It's up to a jury at this point. Well, these are the oh, startling allegations. We'll wait for the jury to decide. Um, it's not going to get that far. It's not going to get that far. The judge, oh, by the way, is a total nut job. Uh, can we, yeah, so this is John Laurel, who's defending President Trump in this matter. He goes on CNN last night. Let's listen. John Laurel, John, thanks so much for being here tonight. You've read through this indictment. What is your defense going to look like? Well, it's basically a regurgitation of the J6 committee report. But our focus is on the fact that this is an attack on free speech and political advocacy. And there's nothing that's more protected under the First Amendment than political speech. So at the at the end, our defense is going to be focusing on the fact that what we have now is an administration that has criminalized the free speech and advocacy of a prior administration during the time that there is a political election going on. That's unprecedented. We've never seen that in the United States, in the history of the United States. So literally what we have is an attack and really an, an effort to, to not only criminalize but also censor free speech. Donald Trump had every right to advocate for his position. While he was president, he saw irregularities. He saw deficiencies in the election process. He raised those. He was being told under oath by people around the country that there were problems with the election. He also saw in real time that the rules were changing without the state legislatures weighing in. And ultimately, he had every right, in fact, a responsibility as a United States president to raise those issues. And now his advocacy is being criminalized. Well, those are secretaries of state who were making those changes in those states because of the the pandemic that was happening. You talk about free speech. Jack Smith. Stop. That's a very important point right there. Okay. (laughs) The secretaries of state were changing the rules, she says, because of the pandemic. They didn't have the authority. You got to change the law. They were just changing the rules and they were using COVID as an excuse. And in some cases, they violated the law. They violated the Constitution, especially in Pennsylvania. Two ways to vote in Pennsylvania. Uh, absentee with excuse and in person. They threw that out and said you can vote any old way you want. Any old way you want. We'll send you a ballot. Everybody gets a ballot. Well, it says you can't do that in the Constitution of the Pennsylvania Commonwealth. And they did not change it. 
That's a huge problem. And Joe, oh, the secretaries of state said it was okay. It's not okay. That doesn't make it okay. Keep going. Trump's right to free speech and to contest the election results. But what he says in this indictment is that when that did not work, the defendant, your client, pursued unlawful means of discounting legitimate votes and subverting the election results. And that that is why he is being charged here, not because of anything related to free speech. Yeah, but that's factually inaccurate because the (laughs) ultimate request that Mr. Trump made to Vice President Pence was pause the, the vote counting, allow the states to weigh in ultimately and audit or recertify. And under Article 2, uh, Section 1, Clause 2, the, the, the actual responsibility for qualifying electors is in the state legislatures. Mr. Trump had the advice of counsel, Mr. Eastman, who was one of the most respected constitutional scholars in the United States, giving him advice and guidance. That's pure politics. You may disagree with it, and people have spirited arguments about the law all the time, and that's why lawyers are in business. But we've never had a situation where a spirited debate about the Constitution has become a criminal case. What's going to happen when when there's a Republican administration? Is there going to be an effort to criminalize speech by Democrats? Is there going to be an effort to characterize something that a Democrat politician says that's not uh, that doesn't meet some kind of truth standard at the at the Department of Justice? That that's going to be the subject of a criminal indictment? We've now entered a constitutional abyss as a result of this indictment. But, John, I should note that you're saying that he was just asking him to send them back. No, I was just talking to the chief of staff who was with Pence that day. He said he was being asked to do something illegal that Pence did not have the right to do to reject them. And you mentioned the attorneys there uh, that you Hold on a second. It's funny that she's talking about, well, I just talked to uh, an aide to Mike Pence, and he says otherwise. He says he couldn't do that. He's an aide to Mike Pence. So what? That has no bearing. It has no jurisdiction. It's just a it's just a thought. It's just a thought. He's not in the Constitution. I think his name is Mark Short. They're always dragging that guy out. Keep going. He's a co-conspirator in this indictment. I should know in the indictment list, all of the people who told Trump that his claims about election fraud weren't true, including the vice president, senior Justice Department leaders, the director of national intelligence, CISA, which, of course, is in charge of making sure elections in the U.S. What? are secure, senior White House attorneys, campaign what? staffers, okay. what, what, state what legislators that you just what? mentioned there in the courts. Right. What was not true, that, that there were states where ballots were sent out without people asking for them, where there were changes in verification, where there were instances where ballots were not being supervised at drop-off places. The the president was told, given advice, that under these circumstances, the state legislatures have the ultimate ability to qualify electors. He followed that advice. Now, you may disagree as to whether or not those things actually occurred or not. That's why we have political debate. We don't have criminal trials over that. We have the discussion like we're just having. Awesome. Awesome. i got to take a quick break. This guy is fantastic, isn't he? He's on fire. It's so good, so good to hear these issues being brought up again just because the fake news shouts you down, just because Democrats yell and scream, that doesn't mean this election was okay. And uh, one more thing, 10,000 mules, anybody? We'll be right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. That lawyer we were just listening to, John Loro is his name, uh, former federal prosecutor, but has spent a long time in 
private practice. I've never seen him before. Um, that doesn't mean anything. I, a lot of people I haven't seen before, lawyers or whatever, but I think that this is just the right man for the right job at the right moment. What do I know about him? Uh, he went to Georgetown undergrad, Georgetown Law School. Um, that's uh, kind of neither here nor there. It doesn't matter. Um, it's just fabulous. It's fabulous to hear somebody that forceful, that articulate, that knowledgeable, that brave. Um, all right, I'm going to wait till the other side of the break. Here, consider this. Oh, by the way, anytime anything bad happens uh, to Joe Biden and the Democrats, they turn around and indict Trump. Okay, literally, this—that's the pattern now for months. June 7th, the FBI releases the form 1023, the FBI form 1023 to the House Oversight Committee that alleges in that form that Hunter and Joe Biden got $10 million in bribes from Nikolai Zlochevsky. The very next day, June 8th, they indict Trump over the documents at Mar-a-Lago. All right. And then all hell breaks loose. and Everybody forgets about the 1023 and the alleged bribe of uh, the Bidens. July 27th. Uh, Hunter is in court and that judge starts asking questions about that sweetheart plea arrangement, five year investigation, millions of dollars in unreported income, uh, two misdemeanors, no jail time. She starts asking questions. The whole deal falls apart. Everybody starts asking questions at that point, even the fake news. What happens the next day? A superseding indictment, a super duper indictment, more charges for Trump. And the gardener and the guy who takes care of the pool at Mar-a-Lago. Okay. And then this week, what is it? August 2nd? Uh, Monday was July 31st. Devin Archer, international man of mystery <laughs> from North Shore, from Manhasset, I believe, uh, testifies that they put Joe Biden on the phone to speak to Zlochevsky and other weirdo oligarchs that they wanted to do business with. Just to say hi, everybody knows is not to say hi, is to establish credibility. Look what I can do. The very next day, they indict Trump on this January 6th stuff. Notice anything? Greg Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. 10,000 mules. Don't forget. Don't forget. It's just so good because... For a long time, we've been told uh, you can't talk about the election. Seriously, you get kicked off of social media, you get kicked out of polite society, you could get all kinds of things canceled, banned. The cops could show up. What kind of country is that? You know, I'm looking at this, uh, the front page of the indictment, and you know what it says? In the United States District Court for the District of Columbia, you know, it says the United States of America versus Donald J. Trump. United States of America versus Donald J. Trump. And I look at that, and who am I rooting for? Donald J. Trump. And I'm not rooting for the United States of America? Now, that's not the case. I love America. Love this country. Love our Constitution. But it has been usurped by corrupt, non-elected people, bad people, and they are un-American. They are, uh, dare I say, enemies of the people. That's what I think is going on right here. So I love America, but they have bastardized this. They have corrupted it. They've polluted it. They've perverted it. Can we go back to the voice of reason, though? John Lauro on CNN eating their breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Keep going. Not, John. Not under the First Amendment. But it matters if those things no. actually occurred because 
Not, not at all, because it, it, under the First Amendment... It doesn't matter if it was actually fraud. No, no, the First Amendment allows... But, John, let me stop you there, because yeah. if, if he's saying that there was fraud, the First Amendment doesn't allow the President of the United States to go and claim there was fraud when he was told there was not fraud and then tried to subvert the election by overturning legitimate electors. The I mean, it says Amendment it right here in the actual indictment. Absolutely. The First Amendment protects so, all so it prote If we're going to have a, a situation where the Department of Justice is going to fact-check politicians and indict politicians for political speech and whether or not they're factually accurate, then this country will shut down politically because it's a never-ending cycle of tit-for-tat. And that's the risk of injecting politics into the criminal justice system. So right now, people disagree with President Trump. What's going to happen four years from now if somebody disagrees with President Biden in terms of what he said during the election? That's why we don't criminalize political speech. Political speech under the First Amendment has, has an almost absolute protection. Nobody gets to judge whether it's true or not, except the American people. And but we John, do that in an election. We do that in an election. We do that in the case of a president by impeachment. But we don't indict people John, for speech. I've got to stop you there. But Trump is not being indicted. Hey, for hold lying. on one second. You know the headline of this uh, interview? Caitlin Collins shuts down uh, the Trump attorney. I gotta stop you there. That was the big quote. Like that was some sort of sensational moment. You can see, you can hear what just happened. This guy is owning this person because the truth, the facts, the Constitution, First Amendment. The president can't say that because his aides told him it wasn't true. Screw the aides. They were wrong. And even if they were right, if you're, he's free to disagree with them. Some guy named Pat Cipollone tells him something and everything, that's it? Pat Cipollone. I guess you don't have to become uh, president of the United States. You can just become some lawyer who works uh, in Washington, D.C., and you get to call the shots? No, it doesn't work that way. Thank God. Keep going. He is being indicted for using unlawful means of discounting legitimate votes and trying to subvert the election results. Well, what's the unlawful means? There, there was an effort to get alternate electors. That he was trying to, to which overturn is, which is a protocol yes, fake electors that, who were that not was, legitimate. That was used in 1960 by John Kennedy. And it was a protocol that was constitutionally accepted. So there's nothing wrong about that. In fact, in the indictment itself, it doesn't allege that there was anything wrong. And the final ask that Mr. Trump made to Vice President Pence was simply pause the voting. There's nothing inherently unconstitutional or illegal about that. In fact, he had an, an opinion from a very well-known constitutional scholar that said that's fine, that that's legal. Mr. Trump is not a lawyer. He's a businessman. His own attorney general, general and official said that that, was, that no. that was not fine, that that was certainly illegal that he was asking. And they weren't Absolutely just asking for not. a pause. Stop. So you hear what you just said? Illegal that he was asking. It's not. <laughs> you can't ask a question. It's illegal. Hey, real quick on the Hawaii thing, 1960. So what happened was Hawaii. You'll remember, or you, maybe you heard, 1960 Kennedy versus Nixon. Right? It was a very, very close election nationally. It was a very close election in uh, in Hawaii. They didn't know who won. It was like a, a couple of dozen votes that separated them. So they weren't. They were concerned they weren't going to get it straightened out. Uh, before uh, the electoral votes had to be counted. So they sent two slates of electors, two slates of electors. Uh, I, I think there were three electoral votes, uh, well, you know, one, one set for Nixon, one set for for um, Kennedy. And once we get the vote situation squared away, we'll know which slate of electors uh, we're going to actually submit that will be the official ones. So there is precedence. There is protocol. 
All those fake electors. They don't know what they're talking about. Keep going, please. ...to overturn the legitimate results. But, John, let me ask you, because he, you're he running was, point on this. Is Trump asked, going to show up in person? He was John, asked... He was let asked, me ask let you me this. Just Is Trump going to show up in person for his arraignment on that's Thursday? Up, that's up to the court. You know, the court makes those decisions. So we're prepared um, to follow whatever the court rules are. John, the judge he, issued a summons, and he will appear either virtually or in person. Okay, so it's not clear if it's virtually or in person. It's, but one thing to get back to, to there, it's up he's to the not judge just asking for a pause. The, your client... No, 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 you have to look at his last... John, your you have to look at what tape. he said. You have to look at what he said at the ellipse. Have you read the ellipse John, speech? John, you got to let me finish my no, no, point no, no. When you, Your client, John, when you look is at the on tape speech, with the exactly former what he sec- said. the Secretary of State of the State of Georgia. John, you got to let me finish my point here. I'm Go letting ahead. you finish your point. Absolutely. Your client is on tape. You know, stop for a second. This is She's very obnoxious, isn't she? She's the one who ran the town hall meeting. Caitlin Collins. And the weird thing about it is it's like they position her as if she's as important, if not more important than the guest. So while he's talking, she's up the entire time. You know, usually the the anchor asks a question and then you see the guest full. They take it full. Well, she's up there the whole time making faces, rolling her eyes, doing stuff. Why are they doing that? Uh, I think, quite frankly, because of some amorous news executive, probably more than one, thinks she's hot and says, let's leave Caitlin Collins up on TV all the time. She's a, she's a real draw. People will tune in to see her. Uh, she's very robotic. She's totally unfair. And she is, I do believe, like a very mean person. She just exudes that. Sorry. Well, she exudes that right here. Keep going. Former. With the Secretary of State from the state of Georgia asking him to find him one more vote than he would need to win the state. That's not asking for a pause. He's asking for votes that he did not get in that election. He was asking for the Secretary of State to identify votes that were not counted properly and factor that in. And by the way, that that discussion took place with dozens of people on a phone call with lawyers involved, and no one was suggesting doing anything illegal. And no one during that call said, Mr. President, that's beyond the bounds. This is politics. This indictment is about pure politics. We engage in vigorous debate in this country about politics. What we don't do is criminalize political speech. This indictment is a game changer. It's the first time that we've taken political speech and said we're going to criminalize it by the party that's in control against the party that's contesting the next election where the two individuals involved are going to be running for office. That is an incredible set of circumstances. God bless this John, man. John, do you believe that you have a good defense here for your client? Do you believe that this trial should happen before the 2024 election? It should not interfere with the election, but really what the indictment has done is identify seven states but should it happen where, before where, there, the election? where there were irregularities. I need to look at what so-called evidence is going to be presented. I could see this trial lasting nine months or a year, but it's going to take... Mr. Trump is entitled to a defense... The government has had three years to investigate this, and now they want to rush this to trial in the middle of a political season. What does that tell you? We deserve as much time as any American citizen to defend on these issues as anyone else. And for the government to have three years to do it and then expect us to do it in three weeks or four weeks is just ridiculous. Every single person in the United States is entitled to due process, including the former president. Okay, John. Well, just notable given your client was saying, you know, that they took too long to make these charges. But, John Laro, thank you for joining us. I know that Good we will see you, you. I hope uh, to see many you times going well, forward. Well, is that great or what, huh?
<laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. Now, uh, should we play Jack Smith, this weird, nervous guy, the prosecutor? You know, twice now he goes in there, he makes a statement, and then he leaves without asking, answering any questions. You know, remember the Gilgo Beach guy? When they announced the the arrest of him, what did they do? They took questions for an hour and a half. What do you want to know? We'll ask. We'll answer those questions. Where's this Jack Smith stuff? You got it there? All right. Let's listen to him. These are the uh, – he actually doesn't go into the allegations. It's all hyper-emotional. Hyper uh, basically, nothing he says is actually in the indictment. But go ahead. Good evening. Today, an indictment was unsealed, charging Donald J. Trump with conspiring – to defraud the United States. Hey, how about Mr. President? Conspiring to disenfranchise voters and conspiring and attempting to obstruct an official proceeding. The indictment was issued by a grand jury of citizens here in the District of Columbia, and it sets forth the crimes charge. They'll indict anything. I encourage everyone to read it in full. No, you don't. The attack on our nation's capital on January 6th, 2021, was an unprecedented assault on the seat of American democracy. <gasps> it's described in the indictment. It was fueled by lies, lies by the defendant targeted at obstructing a bedrock function of the U.S. government, the nation's process of collecting, counting and certifying. Yeah, stop right there. I'm sorry. You know what it was fueled by? Uh, cops lobbing stun grenades into a peaceful crowd. Number one, Antifa. And why the hell were those doors left open? And why did the cops lead around the horns guy, escort him all through the building? OK. Keep going. Results of the presidential election. The men and women of law enforcement who defended the U.S. Capitol on January 6th are heroes. They are patriots and they are the very best of us. They did not just defend a building or the people sheltering in it. They put their lives in the line to defend who we are as a country and as a people. All right, cut the crap. Stop it. All right, just, just, I mean, I'm so, this was a huge security catastrophe. You can't you can't run around patting yourself on the back and handing out gold medals. You know, did they do that to the police department because they did a good job putting down the Black Lives Matter riot in Minneapolis? You know, the same department where Officer Chauvin, you know, put his knee on that guy's neck? No. That's the same thing that they're doing here though. They're giving out medals. They shot Ashley Babbitt. They shot and killed Ashley Babbitt. <laughs> she There's not a police department in the country that would say that was a justified shooting, except the Capitol Police, except the one that's run by Congress. How about that? They're hiding behind these guys in uniform. They do it all the time. It is a cheap, swamp, bureaucrat trick. The men and women in uniform, the career prosecutors, we are so proud of them. It is, it's deceptive. Uh, keep going. They defended the very institutions and principles that define the United States. Since the attack on our capital, the Department of Justice has remained committed to ensuring accountability for those criminally responsible for what happened that day. This case is brought consistent with that commitment, and our investigation of other individuals continues. In this case, my office will seek a speedy trial so that our evidence can be tested in court and judged by a jury of citizens. In the meantime, I must emphasize that the indictment is only an allegation and that the defendant must be presumed innocent until proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt in a court of law. How big of you. I would like to thank the members of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. There you go. Who are working on this investigation with my office, as well as the many career prosecutors and law enforcement agents from around the country who have worked on previous January 6th investigations. 
These women and men are public servants of the very highest order, and it is a privilege. They're ordinary people. Some are good, a lot are bad. A lot are good, some are bad. (laughs) And thank you. And then he leaves the room. Um, And none of that stuff. Hey, he says the, the, the so there was a riot, and he the the lies fueled the riot. So they're going after what he says is the liar, you know. So what fueled the riots of Black Lives Matter? The lies that police are systemically racist, that America is systemically racist. Should we go after all those guys who said that? I mean, I I abhor that view and the people who push those lies, but they shouldn't be arrested for saying that stuff, and they won't be. They can't be, and they shouldn't be. But we can be arrested. Our president can be arrested for having a point of view. Um, it is insane. I don't know how this is going to. This was a huge mistake on their part, because even like the heavyweight legal Scott, they know they know they can't read this thing with a straight face and think it's a good case. Yes. Buffoons like uh, Scarborough and his uh, his wifey there. They can they can pretend or maybe they actually think that. Uh, let's go to uh, Kevin in New Jersey. Hi. Yeah, so what concerns me is like reasonable without a preponderance of evidence. Isn't it a double jeopardy and, uh, for uh, impeachment? And, uh, and well, I think you should be asked for Trump triple damages. And this is a malicious prosecution. It's a malicious prosecution, double jeopardy. Yeah, I love all that stuff, except double jeopardy. Uh, it's not double jeopardy because it was an impeachment case, not a criminal case. So I don't think you'd call this double jeopardy. But uh, thanks, Kevin. Uh, Adam and Mineola. How you doing, sir? I honestly think that Trump should put in for a speedy trial. Trump should what? Put in for a speedy trial, sir. I don't understand what you meant. What? I feel like he should exercise his speedy trial clause, sir. Oh, uh, when do you think he really just go to trial right now? What if he gets convicted oh, in a crazy? He, he's got a crazy. Hold on a second, Adam. He's got a crazy judge, a crazy Trump hating judge who gives all kinds of money to Obama and Biden. Um, and the jury pool in Washington, D.C. is 95 percent Democrat. So a speedy trial. Uh, <laughs> it could be a speedy conviction. And a speedy sentence. He's running for president. This thing should not happen now. I, I disagree with you, Adam. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Thank you, though. Uh, Mike in Oyster Bay. Hey, hey. I, th- I, I agree with you that um, it was Trump's obligation to um, stop that ele- election um, with the with the um, electorate. Legislatures also it was it was also um, Pence's obligation and duty constitutionally to do that. And here's my issue with him: he said he was going to do it like the Friday before January 6th. Then he goes there and he then he says he did, he stopped doing it because of the um, riots. Now he says that it was not constitutional at all for him to do it. His story is not straight. Well, you're somewhat right. I mean. He did play footsie with us on January 4th. You're right. Two days before he said, you know, we'll have, we'll hear the objections. We'll have the debate. It sounded like he was going to exert what we thought was his power, but he never said that he was going to, uh, that the, that the riot freaked him out or changed his mind. He has not said that. Uh, others have like Kelly Loeffler of, uh, of, uh, Georgia, but you can look it up in his book. He's going, uh, from his house to the Capitol, and he sees a big crowd of people. The, the riots haven't started yet. And he says, he looks to the people, and his daughter's in the car with him. He says, my goodness, 
they're going to be so disappointed. I mean, he could have rolled down the window and tell everybody, "Hey, I'm just gonna, you know, I'm just gonna rubber stamp this thing," and it <laughs> that would have helped if he knew if it was so clear cut. Why didn't he come out and say it days, weeks ahead of time? President Trump wants me to do something. I disagree. You can have a disagreement. You can have a disagreement about what the Electoral Count Act of 1887 uh, means or does. You can have a disagreement about what the Constitution says, about what counting means. And he could have said it. He could have said it out loud. What a jerk. Uh, I'll be right back. Greg Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. The incompetent, vain, and very dumb Eric Adams uh, let's see here. Gothamist, he is considering a plan to shelter migrants inside tents in Central Park and other major public green spaces, a move that would place the city's ongoing migrant crisis front and center in the eyes of New Yorkers, as well as state and federal officials. According to two people with knowledge of the discussions, reports of the plan to shelter migrants in parks comes as city officials say they've run out of room in homeless shelters and emergency housing. Since the weekend, scores of mostly male migrants have been camped out and sleeping on the sidewalk outside of the Roosevelt Hotel and Intake Center in Midtown Manhattan. For months, the mayor has been sounding the alarm. You know what? You picked a fight with the Biden administration. You're too cute. You're too caught up with yourself. This is something that could have been handled. But no, you just can't resist. you got to go to that damn microphone and make a spectacle out of yourself all the time. Wow. This is, uh, you know, we hire mayors to, to take care of this kind of stuff for us. All right. Central Park is one of the few remaining. It's an oasis. It's beautiful. I've actually I'm going there now more than I ever have in my entire life. Bring my daughters there. My wife and I, we go, we use the playgrounds, we walk. It's absolutely amazing. But now if this happens, if this happens, you know, it's really the only place we can go where there's where there's this feeling of security, a feeling that you can really let your hair down and just kind of. Relax, and you don't have to look over your shoulder all the time. They're not denying this. Okay, Fabian Levy, Fabian, the mayor's press secretary, would not confirm the discussions about putting tents in the parks, but did not deny the plan was in the works. As we've said multiple times, with more than 95,000 asylum seekers coming, hey, all that crap about being in a, uh, a sanctuary city, Ewick, huh? How does that sound now? How does that sound now? What was New York thinking when they elected this guy? Well, remember, New York did not elect this guy, right? Eight million people live here. The primary was on the last day of school, and barely 200,000 voted for him. Not many votes, but a big mistake. Greg Kelly Kelly. on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, I look forward to uh, chatting with Rudy Giuliani again. I've never been so proud to be friends with a uh, unindicted co-conspirator. He's he's unindicted. He's in this thing. He's the co-conspirator. Rudy Giuliani is an American hero. He was before the Trump administration, during the Trump administration, since the Trump administration. Um, it's great. And I know the guy. You know, he came in here yesterday. Uh, we did the last uh, half hour of the show with him. Um, he's doing fantastic. Uh, he only gets, he kind of, he, he thrives on this kind of stuff and he's right. He's correct. He's done nothing wrong and they have criminalized politics and that is a crime. You can't criminalize politics. You know, I'm looking at a video here of, (laughs) of Joe Biden. What did he do last night? He went for a walk on the beach at night, which is a little odd, uh, unless you're, you know, 
the early stages of a romance, uh, or you're a serial killer, why do you go to the beach at night? I mean, it's just, he's, but he's walking on the beach at night with his wife. Jill, not a doctor. And then he goes to the movies. Now, last night was a, it's Wednesday, right? So last night was Tuesday night. Tuesday night, that's a weeknight. He's going to the movies on a weeknight. He's the president of the United States. What did he see? Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. About the, the nuclear bomb guy. You know, I saw Oppenheimer, and I couldn't stay for the whole thing, because it's three hours long. He stays for the whole thing. And I'm just, uh, you know... <laughs> I've got responsibilities, but I'm not the president of the United States. I can't sit through a three-hour movie. I had to get the hell out of there. My wife starts texting me, where are you? What's going on? Come on, we got the... I had to leave. I had to get the hell out of the movie theater. Three hours. Who has time for a three-hour movie? Uh, high school kids on summer vacation and Joe Biden. I mean, this it's its ludicrous. Um, <laughs> it's, it's Walking on the beach. Today, just a little while ago, he was on a bike ride. Is it a Memorial Day weekend? No. Is it Labor Day weekend? No. Is it the 4th of July? No. No, it's August 2nd. What holiday is there on August 2nd? What is this? It's warm outside holiday? <laughs> Just, uh, what is he, what is he, French? You know, the French, they, they typically blow off August. They don't do anything in August. It's one of the reasons why, though, their economy is so crummy. Same goes for Spain. And they take the afternoon off. It's called siesta. Meanwhile, Americans are supposed to be working like dogs, although you're seeing less and less of that. Thanks to the weed, thanks to the handout mentality, thanks to uh, just chilling Netflix and chill, and maybe because of the President of the United States setting a miserable example. Another miserable example is Mike Pence. Wow. Mike Pence, former Vice President of the United States, may not even make it to the debate. One of the conditions, you know, there's a debate on Fox at the end of the month. And one of the conditions to make it, uh, you gotta be like at 2% in the polls and you need 40,000 people to have given you money. 40,000 individual donors. And he doesn't have that. And he's probably not gonna, he may not get it. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. Right now he doesn't have it. Isn't that, isn't that kind of wild? The former vice president of the United States. So what does that tell you? He has absolutely zero political skill. None. Zero. Now, why did Trump make him vice president? Well, in retrospect, that was a big mistake, wasn't it? You know, Trump did have a learning curve. He was new to politics, and he had to rely on people, but he's figured that out. And he knows who's, he, you know, as good as he was, quite frankly, a natural at politics, he is exponentially better at this point. So, uh, let's see here. Mike Pence says, uh, the indictment serves as an important reminder. Anyone who puts himself over the Constitution should never be president of the United States. Well, he did not do that, Mike. He did not do that. You guys had a disagreement about what Article 2 says and doesn't say. People can do that. We had a Supreme Court. You uh, could have told everybody, the world, what you were going to do. You didn't. For some reason, you didn't. Were you waiting to see how the winds were you know, ultimately going to blow? Were you feeling out all your options? You know... Mike Pence, he might have been able to save some lives or save some heartache if he just said what he was going to do. I notice in his memoir, he did not even mention the name Ashley Babbitt. Isn't that kind of crazy? Half of the book is about January 6th. 
and the boring story about he was hanging around the parking lot. Half of the book. And you don't mention that a woman was murdered a few feet from where you were standing, from you were... And then you bitch for about two chapters that President Trump didn't call you while you were in the parking lot. Well, why didn't you call him? It doesn't work that way. Decisions, they rise to the presidential level. All right? Then you need the president, especially the way the swamp is set up. You know, Milley bitching that he didn't hear from the president. Pence bitching that he didn't hear from the president. Um... Uh, this guy, that guy, they're all saying, we did not hear from the president. He was too busy watching TV. Call him. I hear the only people who called him was Brian Kilmeade and uh, some other guy. <laughs> you just, why didn't the people who worked for him call him? It was a setup. It was a setup. Hey, here's something good. Remember yesterday I was talking about the um, ridiculous anti-crime plan that Adams came up with? $485 million more money for those uh, silly... Uh, so-called violence interruption programs where you have uh, you hand out sweatshirts and uh, I don't know, you you pretend you have some sort of mentoring program and try to get kids off the streets by, I don't know, shooting hoops or something like that. It's just a bunch of crap. And listen to this. It's also very corrupt, susceptible to corruption. I have this from the New York Post. Excuse me. Head of the New York City anti-violence program busted in massive upstate gun drug sweep. The director of a Bronx anti-violence program listed as part of Mayor Eric Adams' plan to curb shootings was hit with drug and gun charges in a massive upstate bust, the Post has learned. Michael Rodriguez, 48, head of Bronx Rises Against Violence, or BRAG. Hey, Bronx Rises Against Violence. BRAG. What was my group called again? Um, Fun Up, Violence Away. It's right along, right? I can do that. FUVA.org. I want some of this $485 million. FUVA. Fun up. Violence away. Bronx rises against gun violence. Yeah, how's that working out so far? Michael Rodriguez. Uh, among 15 suspects charged in the drug conspiracy case. He is accused of supplying drugs to dealers in Middletown and Port Jervis to be sold on the streets. Cops raided his Yonkers home last week and allegedly found the drugs. More than $165,000 in cash and two illegal guns, um, a Ruger 380 caliber and uh, some other gun. Rodriguez's organization, Bragg, is among the grassroots organization listed as community partners in the city's blueprint to end gun violence last year. This thing was even lighter and sillier than the uh, blueprint to end violence that came out this week. At least they put in a little bit more elbow grease. They put in, they, they really stretched that one. The new one is about 50 pages. Half of it is pictures and charts. But the one that came out last year, that was about 12 pages. That was like first grade level stuff. The allegations of a drug trafficking and gun possession against Michael Rodriguez are shocking and disturbing, especially since he has attended anti-violence events and peace marches, portraying himself as someone who cares about stopping the violence in our community. All of these people, I'm sorry, most of these folks associated with the anti, there are some great people out there, okay, but quite frankly, the effort is, it's, it's kind of pathetic. It's just, it always has been, and you always get these people who are inexperienced, who are naive, who talk these things up, and they think, oh yes, we'll have people from the community, and the police don't have to get involved. They will be violence interrupters. Um, and it never works. It just never works. Uh, here's a picture of Michael with his hat on and all that stuff. 
All right. I, I got to get in on this. And I would actually try to do something, but quite frankly, not much. Um, I mean, there's money to be made here. I need dough like anybody. And if the city is handing out fifty uh, five hundred million dollars, I mean, what's one more phony baloney uh, uh, group out there? Nonprofit 501c3. I want to do I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Here he is. I mean, anyway, that's that's the way it goes. Just have a group. Eric Adams, feel good. Put out a paper. Nice pictures of Eric Adams and friends and the children. He's got input from the children. Remember the input from the children on how to eradicate violence? Teach kids how to use nature for healing. They actually they actually put that in the report. Hey, I'd like to know where the hell is. Well, we know where Mitch McConnell is, right? Is he having another uh Medical episode. He hasn't said anything about this horrendous uh, anti-American uh, phony case against Trump. He hasn't said anything about it. Neither is John Thune, the pretty boy. Uh, what is he? The whip, the, uh, the 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 assistant minority leader. All these rhinos, and they are rhinos, rhinos of the first order. All right, we'll put that away for the moment. Anything else to say about the indictment? He's going to win this thing. And I thought that guy was great. I guess we'll leave that alone for now. We got the while I try to organize this. Uh, Joe, what's on your mind? Hello, Greg. Listen, uh, Mike Pence. All he really had to do was say, "I can't justify doing this. Let's give it another look, or you can find somebody else constitutionally that can do it." The same way we gave Kavanaugh another look. Give us the respect to give it another look. And if they could look in the Constitution and find who's next, they would have found who's next on their side. But he would have went out a hero. He, now he's like a, he's like the Sammy the Bull. You know what I mean? The only difference is that he's accepted now on these shows. You know, they give him a little bit of a hard time, but he he can rub elbows with the likes of uh, Anna Navarro and, and people like that. And he could – he can uh, – and that could be his shtick because he's never going to be elected to anything. Yeah, you're right. That's his shtick now. He's accepted by those people. But to a point, to a point, they're never going to fully embrace him because he's, you know, he was vice president under Trump. But I'll say this. Actually, I don't think that he could have deferred the decision to anybody else or deferred the responsibility. It says the vice president. He couldn't have, like, uh, recused himself and let somebody else do that. I don't think that that was. Hey, look, and I'll say this. It, it would be a lot better if. um you know, Mike had said, look, I'm going to do this. I disagree with the president, but he didn't. He played a game with everybody saying, I might, I might not. I don't know. You know, he, he was cute about it. I mean, two people can disagree about what that means. They can. I don't like the way he did it. He could have saved everybody a big hassle. I don't really fault him for his view of the Constitution. I disagree with it. Does that make sense? I mean, you can have that disagreement. Maybe it could have gone to the Supreme Court. I don't uh I don't know, but you can, people can differ about what the hell the Electoral Count Act in Article 2 says. That's why we have a Supreme Court. It happens all the time, every day. And brilliant people can disagree about this stuff. But listen to Caitlin Collins. It's like up to Caitlin Collins and Jack Smith and uh, the swamp to say, you know, what's true, what's false. It doesn't work that way, and it never should work that way. But according to this debate, uh, this indictment, that's the way it's going to work from from now on. Hey, going back, and it's important to rem- – thank you, pal. Uh, it's important to remind everybody – that earlier this week, that Devin Archer, best friend of Hunter, came forward and said that Joe Biden was on the phone with the various people they were trying to do business with about 20 times 
over the years, including the time when Joe was vice president of the United States. And I got this. Uh, it's a log of all the times Joe Biden had sit down meetings with Hunter Biden's uh, uh, partners while he was vice president. November 2010, Joe Biden had a sit down meeting with Eric Sherwin, president of Hunter Biden's private equity firm in the West Wing. November 2011, Joe Biden met with Chris Hines, a co-founder of Hunter's private equity firm in the West Wing. March of 2012, Joe Biden met with Andre Pastrano Argano, the former president of Colombia, who Hunter was doing business with at his personal residence. December 2013, Hunter flew with Joe Biden aboard Air Force Two to China, where he introduced him to Jonathan Lee, a Chinese businessman. February 2014, Joe Biden had lunch with Hunter and two of his two of Hunter's Mexican business partners and was pictured giving them a tour of the White House. April 2014, Joe Biden met with Devin Archer from Monday. Devin Archer, another co-founder of Hunter's private equity firm in the White House a week before Archer joined the board of Burisma. Joe Biden met with Manuel Estrella, Hunter's Latin American business associate. After the meeting, Estrella emailed Hunter. Hunter, I just met your father. So exciting. Hunter replied, I'm glad it all finally came together. This is illegal for crying out loud. This is influence peddling. We all know it. It's so clear. And again, Joe's outright overt corruption gets eclipsed by the fake allegations against Trump. I'll be right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Uh, busted again. Eric Adams being a great big phony, saying one thing, doing another. I'm looking at a picture of him getting out of a monstrous SUV. I've never seen anything this big. This is like, uh, this is like a tank. This is like, what do they call the president's, uh, of the beast? It's, it's like the beast. It's huge. New York City shells out $157,000 on two gas-guzzling SUVs to escort Adams top officials, even though the mayor once vowed to bike to work all the time. City Hall added a gleaming black Lincoln Navigator with tricked-out rims and a Chevrolet Suburban High Country with 420 horsepower to its fleet of department cars. Yeah, I do remember that. He was going to be Mr. Green, right? Mr. Vegan, Mr. Green. I'm going to ride the bike. I'm going to take the subway. Um, uh, he gets carted around like this all the time. This is what he does. Uh, you know what's the gas mileage on this thing as they force everybody else to go green as they take the what, the gas stoves out of buildings? Uh, <laughs> 14 miles per gallon. It does look like a great big waste of metal most of the time. Uh, hey, look, if he came in there and he wasn't like uh, Mr. Green, Mr. Vegan, um, it look, here's what he said in October 2021. If elected, you're going to see me on my bike all the time riding to and from City Hall in a real way, in a real way, like not in a phony photo op kind of way, right? I think if people start seeing their mayor on a bike, they'd be more encouraged to know that the streets are safe to ride their bikes. Well, they're not. Oh, by the way, whatever you do, please don't ride a bike in New York City. I used to land jets on aircraft carriers. I would never, ever, ever ride a bike in New York City. Why? Because it's too dangerous. And these people don't know what the hell they're doing out there. Um, you're, you're, you're so vulnerable on a bike. So vulnerable. I mean, you could get clipped. A door could open up. A million bad things can happen to you. What else? You know, it's worse. The, um, the electric scooters. I saw this girl. She must have been like, I don't know, 25 years old. She was on her phone on an electric scooter going about 20 miles per hour. I'm like, you are, you, there's like a 50 50 chance you're going to wind up in the hospital today. And, uh, oh, by the way, they always blow off, uh, traffic lights. 
So these are massive, mammoth vehicles. But that's why he's in it. That's why That's why a lot of politicians get in this game. That's why they all want to be mayor, for the perks, for the stuff. You ever see the posse that he goes around with? You know, 50 guys, you know, with little things in their ears. Um, gets off on that. Look at me. I'm important. And who are they without this post? Nobody. That's what they want. It's all about the power and the perks. It's not about the people. It's certainly not about public service. Public service. When's the last time you heard anybody talk about public service, serving the public? Well, I may just have to do it. I don't want to. There are a lot of reasons why I don't want to be the mayor, run for mayor, but I just might have to because I think I can beat him. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, who's getting divorced or separated? Uh, P, uh, what's his name? Justin Trudeau and his wife, Sophie. Hmm, sorry to hear that. Uh, they were a lovely couple. Um, Justin Trudeau is a maniac, of course, socialist maniac, strange dude. Uh, interesting life, though. He was the son of Pierre Trudeau. And uh, his mother, Margaret, was Margaret her name? Yeah, the big rumor is that Margaret hooked up with Fidel Castro. And uh, Fidel Castro is the real father of of Justin. And quite frankly, if you look at them side by side, there is a hell of a lot of resemblance, much more resemblance of Fidel and Justin than Justin and Pierre, Pierre Trudeau. Uh, Pierre Trudeau and his wife, they were very glamorous. What's her name would show up down here? She got divorced, too, I think. Would show up here at Studio 54 and Mick Jagger and Bianca Jagger and that whole crew. Uh, that must have been a hell of a time, huh? Studio 54. I wish I could have caught some of that. Uh, too, uh, too young, too young. Although, let's face it, you watch the movie. It looked like there was a lot of bad things. I am so glad. Well, the cocaine, I think, if I ever touch that stuff, it would totally destroy me. I am so glad. I never, ever, 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 ever touch that stuff, in large part because of the death of Len Bias. Remember him? He was a University of Maryland basketball player, and he was drafted by the Celtics, and his future was, like, amazing. But he took cocaine, and the word at the time, this is in the mid-'80s, because uh, he, he, he had a heart attack. Well, he was allergic to cocaine because they wanted to kind of like save his legacy and his reputation. It was the first time he ever tried cocaine. So I got that in my head. I don't think it was probably the first time he ever tried cocaine, but that you could actually die from one sniff, one snort. So I never snorted it. Hey, when Rudy comes here, the uh, unindicted co-conspirator, let's talk to him. Okay. Is he coming in today? He is, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. He's my- conferring with lawyers. All right. I mean, it's like, look, he's got to do some of that, but I know he's innocent. And uh, I know he's a hero, so we look forward to talking to him. Now, uh, the other lawyer, there are now a lot of lawyers uh, working for Trump, and uh, he's got a lot of battles to fight. This guy, I think, is one of the tops so far. His name is John Laurel. We played that big interview he had with CNN last night. Now, this is from this morning. I actually haven't heard this, but I want to let's listen to it together. Okay, this is John Laurel, who's defending Trump in this uh, this phony baloney January 6th stuff. Uh, he was great last night. Let's see how he does this morning on the Today Show versus Savannah Guthrie, total Democrat, by the way. Go. To one of Mr. Trump's defense attorneys, John Loro, we started with the timing of a trial. 
The special counsel said yesterday he would like to see a speedy trial. That yes. is 70 days from now. Are you ready uh, to go? Would you like to see a speedy trial? Well, the speedy trial right is the defendant's right, Correct. not the government's right. So we're entitled to understand what the charges are. We're entitled to do our own investigation. The special counsel or the Justice Department, the Biden Justice Department, has had three years to investigate this. Uh, to take President Trump to trial in 90 days, of course, is absurd. The question is, why do they want to do that? If you want to seek justice, then you need to offer Mr. President, President Trump an opportunity to get a hold of all the evidence and understand what the facts are. Well, I assume you're confident you can win this case. Absolutely. We're going to win. Yeah. Would you, at a minimum, say you'd like to see this resolved before the election? I want to get to all the evidence. I want to have a chance to present our case to a jury. This is the first time that the First Amendment has been criminalized. It's the first time that a sitting president is attacking a political opponent on First Amendment grounds and basically making a criminal to, to, to state your position and to engage in political I've got to give you a little time out on that one. Yeah, because of we've course, never seen that before. Well, the indictment specifically says that, that the president has a First Amendment right to speech. Yeah. He even has a First Amendment right to lie. And, it says and, it right and, here. Absolutely. This indictment is criminalizing conduct, not speech. No, it's criminalizing speech for this reason. What the president saw in the 2020 election was all these irregularities going on. Okay, affidavits, sworn testimony, examples of instances where the rules were changed in the middle of the game. He had every right to comment on that and act politically. In a criminal case, what they would have to show is all of that speech was not entitled to First Amendment production. But we're not Protection. talking about They'll speech. They'll never be able to do it. It's, it's very explicit. Political it says, though Jack Smith speech. saw this, this very argument no. coming, it says he is being indicted for conduct using unlawful means of discounting legitimate votes it's and one subverting second. the election results. It's at the, yes, the very first paragraph, it says that, but then it goes on, the whole indictment goes on to the, the, the things that he was saying, saying and thinking and what he knew, what they alleged that he knew. So yeah, they give that boilerplate, uh, kind of excuse or, uh, this is our, they're checking a block with that one line and then the whole indictment undermines that one line. She's wrong. Keep going. He says before. he can speak all day. He can't engage you, in conduct. Of course, you can take action in the political sphere. For example, let's say somebody opposes a law in Congress. Do a filibuster, right? That's political speech. That's political action. There's nothing wrong with that. But what we have, we have something that no one else realizes. There is something wrong with sending no, fake no, electors, no, trying to go beyond no. and around the law. These weren't fake election. electors. These were alternate electors, which John Kennedy did in 1960. It was an exact protocol that was followed previously. Different situation. And Not the indictment all. alleges that some of these alternative electors, I'll use your words, weren't even aware. They thought this would and, only come up ab- if there were a legitimate dispute. Absolutely. In what President Trump had was an, an actual opinion of counsel that his request to Vice President Pence was completely lawful and completely constitutional. He also had many, will, many opinions of his own that. White House Why the hell is she interrupting not- so much? Shut the hell up. Are you the attorney? Why don't you just do a monologue? Do 20 minutes on your own and just say what you think. Wow. Remember when she ran the town hall meeting? She ran a town hall meeting for Trump. It's supposed to be the people speaking. She asked 80% of the questions. Or not even question. She just said 80% of the material, 80% of the speaking was Savannah Guthrie. Who the hell is Savannah Guthrie? I don't care that she went to University of Tucson Law School. I think that's her claim to fame. You know, another, uh, another person on TV. Ooh, they went to law school. Well, there are 50,000 lawyers in this bill. Anyway, keep going. 
legal. No, you're, you're entitled to believe and trust advice of counsel. You have one of the leading constitutional scholars in the United States, John Eastman, say to President Trump, this is a protocol that you can follow. It's legal. That eliminates criminal intent. That now, is can, one lawyer. He had his White House counsel saying that was not true. This you don't is have a to fringe count legal lawyers. theory. Here's the thing, though. The government in a criminal case has to prove beyond a reasonable doubt criminal intent and corrupt intent. They have to demonstrate beyond a reasonable doubt that, number one, President Trump did not believe that all these irregularities were true. And number two, that he did something to correct, corruptly obstruct justice. And they can't prove that because everything he did was to get at the truth. Filing lawsuits, asking for recounts, asking Vice President Pence, pause the, pause the counting so you can go back to the states and re-audit. The prosecutor says, let's go to trial. I'm ready in 70 days. Fair enough, you're not ready in 70 days. How about 90? How about six months? How about before the election? How about he had three and a half years. Why don't we make it equal? Okay. The bottom line is that they have 60 federal agents working on this, 60 lawyers, all kinds of government uh, personnel. And and we get this indictment and they want to go to trial in 90 days. Does that sound like justice to you? Well, maybe. Is that justice? The prosecutor's not here to say. Maybe he's investigating so that he's ready to go to trial in 70 days. Is it justice to force a former president of the United States to trial in 90 days when you've had three years to Well, as you well know, no one can force that. As you pointed out, it is the defendant's right to a speedy trial. Why would a prosecutor ask for that? Why would a prosecutor seeking justice, seeking truth, try to force a trial? I don't know, but you just told me 10 seconds ago that they wanted to tie him up in court so he can't run for election. And now you're telling me they're trying to force the speedy trial. So which one? The election's going on right now. They want to go to trial so that, so that instead of debating the issues, against Joe Biden that President Trump is sitting in a courtroom. How is that justice? The American people want to talk about the issues. What they don't want to do is relitigate the 2020 election. Wow. Huh? That guy's good. And she's terrible. She's terrible. I mean, you know, talk about bias. That's that's NBC, NBC, NBC News. And they pretend that they're just uh, the facts, just the facts. But they are horrifically biased all the time, 24-7, all of it skewed against Trump. you got to go out of your way to find alternative voices like me. Uh, Barbara, hi. Hi. Hi, Greg. Hey, Thomas Jefferson had something to say about this. He said, believing with you that the legitimate powers of government reach actions only and not opinions. So they're trying to read Trump's mind and say what he believes. Samuel Adams said, without freedom of thought, there can be no such thing as wisdom and no such thing as public liberty without freedom of speech. So. I love it. Those guys are so smart. Wait, what? Keep going. Trump has the freedom of speech. He has the freedom of thought. Our founders knew that God has created the mind to be free without government imposition and without government punishment and control. Absolutely, Barbara. Those are some real gems from our founding fathers, again, supplied by you. Um, yes. Overall, what? how did this thing strike you? Did you see that uh, Jack Smith come out all weird and nervous and uh, shifty? Yes, I, I did. I, he is weird. He is definitely weird. But we shouldn't be surprised by this. You know, it's hard not to be shocked, but we, we shouldn't be surprised. And Edmund Burke said, there is no safety for honest men 
except by believing all possible evil of evil men and acting on that belief. Mm, that's another heavy one. I love it, Barbara. So wise. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, drive safe. It sounds like you're on the road. All right, Sandra, it's your turn. Hello. Hello. I'm on the road, too. Um, I wanted to say that I saw uh, John Laurel also last night on Brett Bear. He he had a much more respectful interview with him. And what, nah, what Brett Bear was with... all kind of smug and pompous and weird. Yeah, and uh, and that whole routine where he's putting on his eyeglasses. I don't think he even needs eyeglasses. He tries to look smart with those eyeglasses. He never says anything, that guy. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm being a little bit of a of a B-I-T-C-H, but I just can't stand that guy sometimes. I know he's a, deep down, he's a good guy, but I, uh, oh, brother, he's uh, just, uh, and he's not good to Trump. He's not good to Trump. He's uh, he's doing the bidding of uh, of the billionaires, not like us. Anyway, keep going, Sandra. I just wanted to say he didn't interrupt him, but I, what, what, what uh, John Laurel left me with was he said it so simply, Donald Trump simply asked Mr. Pence if he could put his decision on pause until the votes in question are checked. To me, haste makes waste and the request was fair. Now, interestingly enough, I just want to share this with you. A Pennsylvania judge dismissed part of a lawsuit that a state election employee brought against Trump saying that Trump, you know, insulted his integrity. And in the end, the lawyer said, the judge said, the statements made by Trump were undoubtedly a matter of great public concern and his remarks dealt with the constitution of democracy. So it's a small, a small case, but still it's the same thing. You have a right to question what's going on in an election. If you think it's not fair, you have a right to say, let's, let's count again. I mean, what's the problem? You're damn right about that, Sandra. And you and I agree on that. And the other thing is, uh, some of these judges, yeah, they say the most overtly political inappropriate things prosecutors too uh what a mess give me a moment please thank you greg kelly entertaining and informative on the red apple podcast network hey uh hold on a second do i have a clip of devin archer speaking to tucker i'm going to send this to you right now i just found this i don't know if this is brand new or what this this looks like it's uh it's relatively new uh Devin Archer, Hunter Biden's influence peddling scheme involving his father was an abuse of soft power is the uh, is the line here. Um, Did Hunter sit down with Devin Archer? Devin Archer, friend of Hunter's. Devin Archer, board member of Burisma. Devin Archer, uh, Long Island man, uh, has a place in Quag. Also, I think he went to North Shore High School. Um, Devin Archer on his way to jail for a year and a day. For something he may not have done, the judge actually said that he thinks there's a real chance that he's not guilty of this bond fraud involving the Indian uh, tribes and uh, $60 million. Uh, is this it? All right, uh, let's go. You're taking a call from the vice president, and you put it on speaker. It's not just, hey, dad, I'm in a meeting with some buddies. Right. It's, let me, let me put my dad, the vice president, on speaker. Yeah, yep. In the, in the rear view, it's, uh, it's, a, it's an abuse of soft power, I'd say. All right, that's the only one little clip we have so far. Tucker Carlson sat down with Devin Archer. <laughs> Man, uh, that's got to be freaking the uh, the Bidens out. Uh, all right, here's I got a little bit more. You can go to Twitter. Devin Archer, episode twelve, part one. Well, good for Tucker. Guys on a roll. 
And uh, it's funny, leaving Fox News seems to be the best thing that ever happened to the guy. Uh, Devin Archer. All right, I got to get to the bottom of this. I'm going to listen. I'm going to just send this to you as well, okay? Let me just send this part one to you, and maybe we'll listen to a minute or two. And while I get that all set up, um, Bob, hello. Greg. Hey, with all the crap they're pulling on the legitimate president, I think Joe McCarthy was right. He was right. He was right. He was uh, more right than wrong, certainly. He might have gone a little bit crazy there, but he was uh, onto something. Yep, about the communist infiltration of the federal government. Bob, thank you. Thank you. Tony, you're next. Hi. Hi, Greg. You know, I wanted to say that John Loro is such a, he's such an awesome guy, a breath of fresh air. He's going to teach America how the Constitution works, and he's going to get to the bottom of what President Trump needs to be cleared. He's going to get to the bottom of every voting fraud activity and everything else. And he's letting them know it's not going to take just a minute. It's going to take as long as it takes to clear President Trump's record. And I love it. I love it, too. I I love that he's not afraid to talk about the election, right? You can't talk about the election. Oh, my God. No, 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 no. It's against the law to talk about the election. No, it's not. Still a free country. Hey, we got this thing all set to go. Uh, let's listen. So you worked with Hunter Biden in a bunch of different businesses. Um, what were the skill, the specific skills that he brought to clients? Well, at the end of the day, he, you know, he had a career in Washington, uh, graduated Yale Law School and had a very big network in, in DC and brought that know-how and understanding of DC and ultimately the Biden brand. The know-how. So as far as I could tell, he wasn't doing legal work. Correct. He wasn't in the counsel's office at Burisma, right? No, no. So the the network and the Biden brand sounds like the the kind of key component of absolutely what yeah. he was bringing. Yep. Um, do you think that he would have been in those businesses not having a business background without his father being in a government position? It's hard to speculate in in those regards. I mean, yeah. I think when we initially met and uh, and he talked about his advisory business, his business that needed to transition from lobbying to advisory and the interest in private equity. It seemed, uh, you know, it seemed like a new and interesting network for us to expand our business. Um, whether he could have, you know, been in that position, it's it's hard for me to speculate. Right. But obviously, the brand of Biden, you know, adds a lot of power when you're dad's vice president. For sure. And there was a time maybe 10 years ago when private equity, maybe like AI now, was just one of those terms people throwing out, I'm in private equity. <laughs> right. But the mechanics, having done it, coming right. from a business background yourself, are kind of complex. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's a complex business. Um, takes years of training. But again, they're, the initial idea around the business, that they were going to provide, you know, the government insight and an additional network to raise capital and then, you know, deal with regulatory issues that you might have. Oh, no, boy. Company. All right. So they're really warming up here. I mean, it takes a while. Uh, uh, let's see if anything happens here. Keep going. Regulatory issues. Exactly. Okay, so that would be more his area. Right, that would be his space. Right. But did, did he have a, a sophisticated understanding of regulation, do you think? Um, I think that he led a team that had, had, a, had a sophisticated... Yeah, <laughs> 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 because I lived in Washington a long time around a lot of regulation. Also, a very complex area. It's not that Absolutely. funny, Tucker. Absolutely. Come on. I think there's, you know, you got to be an expert in knowing the guy, and he was the guy that was the expert in knowing the guy. He was an expert in knowing the guy. Right. And who was the guy he knew? 
Uh, well, he knew a lot of people, but obviously yeah. there was some familiar, you know, some, his brother, his father, uh, yeah. uh, some of his, his father's siblings. So he, he knew a lot of people. And, and obviously I know you're pointing to, you know, the father being the key relationship. That's well, true. no, I, I'm just trying to get a sense of Washington's right. not This guy town. showed up right. to not say anything, basically. Like, look at me, I'm on Tucker, I'm, and he's flirting with it, but he's not going there. He's just not going there, and he's got a big, goofy smile on his face the whole time. Let's give him one more chance. You know, people don't aren't in business in Washington for the right. most part, and most people don't have business skills that I've noticed in 30 years of living there. Um, so really, the business of Washington is... Is selling access. That's what it looked like to me. Yes. Not just Hunter Biden, but like. Yeah, no, that's I think that's, do. I mean, I think that's the, one of the like core misconceptions. I mean, it seems like when I, you know, understanding a regulatory environment means selling access at the end of the day. That, yeah. That's how I interpret it. And I think that's how most people on, you know, in Wall Street, whether they admit it or not, interpret it. Yeah. So we're going to, we've got a complex business that intersects with government. <sighs> He's being too polite. Right. All right. I got to stop. I got to stop. This is uh, Tucker's latest Twitter foray, and uh, they do very, very well. Uh, I guess Tucker's not running for president. Wouldn't be smart at this point, but someday, someday. Um, all right. Any sign of Rudy, our unindicted co-conspirator? All right. Must be, um, you know, on the phone with uh, his fellow co-conspirators, who are all innocent. Oh, by the way, he's such a hero. Anyway, hey. Many, many thanks to be continued. I'll be doing some media uh, later and uh, back here tomorrow. Thank you.